turn in your scriptures to the book of John, John chapter 14, and we will read verses 1 through 14 of that particular chapter. Just to kind of bring you up to speed, they are at what is more than likely the Last Supper. Judas has left to go do what he is to do, to take his part in our salvation. Jesus has revealed once again to his disciples that he is going to die. Peter has very loyally and very brashly stood up and said, I will make sure that doesn't happen. And Jesus says, you know, that's all well and good, but you will betray me in this. And Peter says, never. And that is where we find ourselves after that conversation between Jesus and Peter, um, beginning in 14, chapter, verse 1, John 14, 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know, knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus said, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Let's pray. Our gracious and holy God, as we expound your word, may we have understanding. As we look at the words of your Son, may they change our lives and transform us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In my humble and personal opinion, Philippians 4 is one of the best chapters in the Bible. Now, I realize when I say that, that all chapter, all of Scripture is inspired by God and it's profitable for everything that the man or woman of God needs to be complete as that man or woman, but I do find great comfort in Philippians 4. Paul, in a very succinct and a very simple manner, just Philippians 4 with so much practical teaching. He talks to these two women in the Philippian church and after laying out his, his, uh, the means of salvation in the gospel earlier in the book, he calls them to reconcile their arguments. Later on in, in Philippians chapter 4, he talks about how we are to think and the things we are to put into our mind, you know, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is true, whatever is righteous, think upon these things. And he goes on in talking about times that he has found contentment in his life, whether it was times of prosperity or poverty, 
peace or persecution, he was able to find contentment by being able to do all things through Christ who strengthened him. And in the middle of that are two verses that have helped me through temptation, that have helped me through anxiety, that have helped me through very difficult times in my life. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In today's passage from John, Jesus is giving this same message to his disciples. And so today I want us to look at when they find themselves troubled, why Jesus gives them the command to not be troubled. Now why would the disciples be troubled? Why would the disciples need this comfort from Jesus? Well, think about what has happened up to this point in the last several hours of the story. Jesus has washed the disciples' feet. Jesus has announced that somebody was going to betray them and yet not heard who exactly it was. Jesus has announced to Peter that Peter is going to deny him three times before the rooster crows the next morning. We know from the other Gospels that Jesus has told them several times that he was going to die, and we know that from this Gospel he has told them that that death is what is going to bring him exaltation and glory. And if you and I had been with Jesus for three years, thinking that this is the man who is, who is the Messiah of God, who is going to bring the kingdom of God to play in a very real way in our culture, in our lives, and he tells you, I am getting ready to die, and several of you, one particularly, more than likely all of you, are going to deny me and betray me, we might be a little troubled as well. We might be a little concerned. We might be a little anxious. And so Jesus sees this in his disciples, and he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. In the midst of their trouble, Jesus seeks to offer them comfort. But it's not the comfort that we are typically used to. What do we think of when we think of being comforted in our troubles? We typically think of the, the removal of those troubles, do we not? We only find true comfort when those troubles are taken away from us and when we find ourselves trouble-free and struggle-free. But Jesus says, your comfort will come through my struggles. Your comfort will come through my trouble. Everything that is happening to me and is about to happen to you and to me is part of the preparation for you to meet God face to face. Where does he tell them to find their comfort? He says to find their comfort in the fact that he is going to prepare a place for them. Now what is this preparation that he is going to do? We often think of the preparation as the post-ascension preparation where God has gone to heaven and he is in the presence of God and he's sitting there mediating, but he's also kind of sitting there sweeping the rooms or building the houses that we're going to live in when we get to heaven. Remember the, new, the King James says he's going, there are many mansions in heaven and he is going to prepare the mansions almost as though uh, the, the contractors are there and Jesus has to make sure the finishing touches are done just perfectly. But what do we know of the context of Jesus' work from the book of John that would give us a clue to what this preparation is? What has he been talking to them about throughout this meal and throughout all of his ministry? 
He's been talking about his glorification. He's been talking about his exaltation. He's been talking about himself being lifted up to God through the cross. And so what is the preparation that he is about? The preparation that he is about is the reconciliation of humanity to God through the cross, through the one who knew no sin becoming sin for us, through the one who lived the perfect life taking the punishment of sin upon himself. And the point of his description of this process was to give them comfort. In essence, he is saying, all of this is happening, according to Isaiah 53, by the will of God, so that by his stripes we may be healed. So that you may live in eternity face to face with God in his dwelling place. Not in a dwelling place of your own that you earn through anything you do, but in the dwelling place of God. And in the dwelling place of God are many rooms. In the dwelling place of God is ample space for everybody who is reconciled to Him. In the dwelling place of God is everything we need, reconciliation, to live in His presence from now and through eternity. What happens to the people in the presence of God right now? What happened to Isaiah? He finds himself transported to the throne room of God. He finally realizes who that is, high and lifted up, that the angels are praising repeatedly, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty whose glory fills the entire earth. And he falls flat on his face, understanding that he deserves judgment and death. Jesus goes to prepare the place for us to stand in the presence of God without the fear of judgment and of death. And he does that by the cross. And he says to the disciples, take comfort in that because you know what it is that I am doing to comfort you in the midst of this trouble, in the midst of this struggle. Well, Philip and Thomas respond to this. Now, there's a sense in which I am frustrated by Philip and Thomas, and there's a sense in which I am very thankful for Philip and Thomas. Why am I frustrated with Philip and Thomas? Probably for the same reason Jesus is. Jesus says, you know the way to the Father, and Philip and Thomas look at Jesus and say, we don't know anything. Three years they've been walking around with Jesus. They've seen the miracles. They've heard the teaching. He has given them extra commentary and explanation apart from the public teaching that he has given so that they can understand that the means to the Father is through Jesus. And if they have seen Jesus, they have seen the Father. And Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and you know how to get there. And Thomas and Philip look at him and say, no, don't. How can you expect us to know? But I'm also thankful for Thomas and Philip, as much as I'm frustrated by them, probably more than I'm frustrated by them, because three years face-to-face -face with Jesus, they didn't get it. And then he goes, you guys are idiots, I'm done with you. No. He said he went deeper into explanation. He met them in grace and love, and, and he understood that they didn't get it, and he understood why they didn't get it, and he continued to teach them lovingly. And what that tells me is 2,000 years separated from the physical presence of Jesus on earth, having Jesus' presence mediated through the written word, if I don't get it, God's not going to give up on me. God still is going to teach me 
and to meet me in grace and truth, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to open my eyes so that throughout this walk, I may know Jesus. But also, I am thankful for them because they, they express what I consider to be a fundamental human need. And that is the desire to see God face to face. Now why is that a fundamental human need? How is humanity created? Genesis 1, 26 and 27 tell us that we are created in the image of God. We are created to reflect God. We are created to, to shine God's glory into creation. And of course that is broken because sin has entered the world. But before sin entered the world, how did humanity exist? Humanity existed in the presence of God. Adam and Eve are sitting there. What does it tell us in Genesis chapter 2? They walked and talked with God. God met them in the cool of the day and talked to them. It, it's almost we get this picture of Adam and Eve are there about the task of, of expanding the Garden of Eden so that God's glory may fill the entire earth and God may dwell on the earth with his people. And they come upon a question of how things are supposed to work. They didn't need Google. They didn't need a textbook. They just looked up and said, hey, God, what am I supposed to do next? Face to face with God. That is how we were designed. That is how we are intended to be. And there is a desire in each of our hearts to live face to face with God. And so they say, we want to be face to face with the Father, but we don't know how. We don't know how to get there. And Jesus gives them these words that we're all familiar with. If you've grown up in the church or you've been to, to any number of Christian funerals, you've heard these words, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the road. Remember in John chapter, John chapter 1, when Jesus is calling his disciples, he says, you will see angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man from heaven to earth, very much like that vision that Jacob had. He is the way. Why is he the way? Well, he's the way because he's the truth and he's the life. What do we mean by truth? Hebrews 1, 1 through 3 tells us that in the past, God had revealed himself to his people through the prophets through the people that he called, like Isaiah, like Jeremiah, like Ezekiel. The author of Hebrews says, In the past God spoke to our forefathers, to the prophets, at many times and in various ways. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he had provided purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. He is the way because he is the truth. He is the true representation of the Father, which he says over and over here in John chapter 14. I am the Father of one. I am in the Father. The Father is in me. All this saying that I am the truth, the true representation of who the Father is. And I'm also the way because I am the life. What does he tell Mary and Martha in John 11:25? Lazarus is going to resurrect because I am the resurrection. I am the life. And back in John 10, he says, I have come so that people might have life and have it more abundantly. So Jesus says, there is this fundamental human need for people to be face to face with the Father, and I am the way to provide it. There's a movie that came out this past weekend that was based upon a book that was written in 2006 by a man by the name of William Young. 
Now, Mr. Young grew up a child of um, missionaries in uh, the East, and uh, after he graduated from high school, he went to seminary, he became a pastor, and in 2006, he wrote this book to explain to his children some things he believed about God and about the Word of God. And so this, the, the, this book is about a man named Max Phillips, who four years before the bus opens, tragically loses his daughter to somebody who kidnaps her and murders her. And he goes through this period of what is called the great sadness, and he, he receives this letter in the mailbox. He says, come to the shack, the place where your daughter was murdered, and let's have a talk. Let's sign Papa. So, against his better judgment, he goes to the shack, and he meets God face to face in the form of an overweight African-American woman. And he rails against God. He asks God questions about why his daughter had to die. Why is evil evil? And why couldn't you stop these things? He meets the Son in physical form. He meets the Holy Spirit in physical form. A fundamental desire to meet God face to face. But Young comes to the conclusion that there are many ways to Jesus. Young comes to the conclusion that God cannot stop evil, but he's there to comfort us when it happens to us. And so this desire to see God face to face and ask him questions leads Young to the wrong answers about who God is and about what God does. Because he doesn't run it through the filter of Scripture. Because he doesn't run it through this verse here, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. So the comfort in life comes from the fact that Jesus is the way, and the way is through the cross. So he says that all these things are going to be happening so that I can prepare a place for you. All of these things are going to be happening because I am the way to face-to-face life with God. And he says all these things are going to be happening because greater things will be done by the church if these things happen and I leave you. Now, what does that mean? Our, our fallen human thought likes to take these verses here at the end of, uh, of 12, 13, and 14, and we go, man, I can get whatever I want. If I just pray in Jesus' name, man, this is a magical formula for me to get whatever I want. Dear God, Ferrari, in Jesus' name. I mean, that's oftentimes what we think when we hear these particular words. But it doesn't work that way, does it? Because all of us have asked for stuff in Jesus' name, whether it's frivolous things like a Ferrari or whether it's serious things. We've all asked for things in Jesus' name that, that didn't work out the way we thought. I've prayed a lot for Ferrari throughout my life, and there's none sitting up there in the, in the driveway. I stopped praying for Ferrari a long time ago also, but... What does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? In John, in 1 John, excuse me, in 1 John 5, 14, I believe it is, John expands this for us, and he says that whenever we pray according to the will of Jesus, or the will of God, God answers our prayers in a very mighty way. John understood, John got this teaching that he recorded from Jesus. Whenever we pray in Jesus' name, it's the same as saying, Father, Son, God, we are praying according to your will. 
We want what you want. We want what brings you glory. So when we pray for things that blatantly violate the will of God, why do I want a Ferrari? Because it's flashy, it's showy. When I was single, I figured it'd get me all the girls. Is that the will of God? Does God want me to be flashy? Does God want me to be showy? Does God want me to take glory upon myself? No, God wants me to give Him glory. God wants me to pray for His in Jesus' name. And in praying in Jesus' name, we as the church can do far greater things. Now, how can we do far greater things than Jesus did? You ever stop and think about that? If I pray in Jesus' name, if this church prays in Jesus' name, what greater things can we do than Jesus did? And some people have looked at this and said, well, the greater things are the fact that you know what, there's so many more of us than there were of Jesus and the disciples, and the church has gone global through the work of, of the gospel, has gone global through the work of the church, so the greater thing is we have converted more people than Jesus has did. Well, we haven't converted anybody, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. We have preached the gospel, but that's not our job, to convert anybody, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. Well, there's so many more church members, and God still acts in miraculous ways throughout the world, so greater miracles have been done because more miracles have been done. Once again, you and I aren't doing miracles. If miracles happen, it's the work of God through us, using us as the means. What is the greater work that we do? What do we have that the disciples didn't have? What happened at Pentecost? The Holy Spirit came with power and clarity. This is an introduction to the next section in the chapter of John, which is Jesus promising the Holy Spirit. Why is what we do greater than what Jesus did? Because when we proclaim the gospel, the Holy Spirit is there to give it power and clarity. Now, not that Jesus didn't have power, not that Jesus didn't have clarity, but we have the Holy Spirit in an extra special way. Think back to Luke chapter 24. Jesus has been crucified. It's the third day he has been risen from the dead, but not all the disciples knew that. Two of them are traveling the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and they're sad. They're depressed, and they have every right to be. And this man shows up and says, why are you sad? Why are you depressed? I said, have you been paying attention to anything? The Messiah was killed. The Messiah was murdered. And Jesus takes the scriptures and he opens it up and he says, let me show you here in Moses, and let me show you here in the Psalms, and let me show you here in the prophets and in the history books how this is exactly what was supposed to happen. Do we need Jesus face to face for us right now for that to happen? We have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does that work on a global scale, not just with two people on a road to a man. The greater work is that it is proclaimed by the church with the power and the clarity of the Holy Spirit. The greater work is that the Helper, which we'll meet next week in the, in the Holy Spirit, is able to come because Jesus left. And Jesus says, you think things have been good now in the proclamation of the kingdom of God? Wait till the Holy Spirit comes. But he can only come if I leave. So the disciples of souls. Jesus has proclaimed that he is going to die. Jesus has proclaimed that he is going to be betrayed and denied. And he offers them the comfort of the preparation of the way and the power that will come when he is seated at the right hand of God's Father. Each of us is or at some point is going to walk through a difficult road. 
we're going to walk through trouble, we're going to walk through struggle, and it, and it may take many different forms. It may be illness, it may be work problems, it may be you know, depression and anxiety problems that, that we think we can't control. And Jesus offers us comfort. But the comfort doesn't always come in the removal of those things that cause us discomfort. But the comfort comes in remembering what Jesus has done. In his book, Devoted to God, Sinclair Ferguson talks about the process of sanctification. And of the two books I read today, if you're going to buy one, you're going to buy this one. But he talks about in there, motive, well, there's one chapter on motives for sanctification, motives for pursuing holiness. And kind of the pinnacle of the motive is remembering what Jesus did for us. As we struggle with sin, as we struggle with life, we look to the cross and we find comfort there. As we struggle with relationships, as we struggle with jobs, we look to the cross and we find comfort there. And as we struggle with grief, we look to the cross and we find comfort. Because on the other side of the things that cause us discomfort, it's a place where we will find God and meet Him face to face. And that opportunity of being able to meet God face to face without fear was purchased for us by the greatest discomfort that fell upon anybody in the history of this world. That's it. Our gracious and holy God, we do thank you for the comfort that you offer through the cross. We thank you for the work that your Son has done for us. We pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.